Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Lomax, and it's a pleasure to be with you today as we discover how to invest where there is no competition. Marios Skonachne is the founder of Classic Value Investors and Microcap Explosions, and he is the creator of Value Investing University. He is also the author of 11 books on the subject of investing. Microcap Explosions is a private membership website where Marios shares his investment ideas with members. Marios is a professional investor, meaning that he makes most of his money from investing his own money. So Marios, take us into the show by sharing a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be who you are today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I would say I'm originally from Poland and I came to the U.S. in 1996. And so my life in Poland was all about competition. Okay. Competition, running, soccer. I was in a special track and field school. And then when I came to the US, I wanted to play basketball. And I wasn't good enough for the US standards. And because of you know being behind with the language and everything, I realized that I had to go into places where I had very little competition. And that's when the turning point in my life took place. I went from being super, super competitive, enjoying that and winning to not being this too much fun because there was too much competition. And then that's what led me into the microcap investing space, because when you have no competition or very little competition, then your efforts can get you a lot further. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense. So tell us a little bit about the investment environment in which you work and how is it that you find this area where there is little competition? Well, first of all, when people think of the stock market in general, we think of what we hear on CNBC, NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange. That's where everybody hangs out. And not just in the US, the entire world goes there. So you have a lot of competition, a lot of eyes. And then you have another space, secondary exchanges or venture exchanges such as OTC markets or a Canadian stock exchange or Toronto Stock Exchange Venture. Those are secondary exchanges that are closest to the US. And 99% of investors don't even know they exist. And there, you can find companies there that are amazing, wonderful, that maybe in the future will be on NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange, but you can find them there when nobody's paying attention or very few people are paying attention. And you can take your time, study them, understand them, put a lot of work into your due diligence, buy them before they become popular. And it's one of the best ways you know, to find the arbitrage. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I've not heard anybody else speak to those kind of things. And in fact, the stock markets you just were talking about, I didn't even know they existed either. Well, Marios, take us through what it is that you actually do as an investor. And you've had a very interesting trajectory here in terms of your investment projects and portfolios throughout the years. I guess, if I remember correctly, you started out really about in 2003 or somewhere around in there. 
and went through 2008 and had some setbacks, and then you came back from that, and then Corona hit, and another setback, but you've come back from that. So chart us out on that journey and what you've come through and what you've kind of learned through those ups and downs. Yeah, well, I started seriously investing in, I graduated college in 2003, but I wasn't really very serious in the stock market at that point because I was in the real estate space. I was a real estate appraiser and a broker from about 2003 to 2008 when the financial crisis hit. I left the real estate industry to go into the stock market because I was already studying the stock market while I was in real estate. And so I figured during the sell-off, it was a good time to do it. And my personality is very much you know, going where there's fear in the market. So it was a good time to enter it. And I guess I entered that space of microcap space from the words of Warren Buffett, what he said when he was asked one time at a Berkshire Hathaway meeting, he was asked, what would you do if you had $10,000 to your name and you were graduating college? He would say, I would go into the most obscure and small companies because the investment industry is not set up to follow those companies. So you have a greater possibility of mispricing. And so that's what I did. So over the last 12 years or 13 years, I was able to take $10,000 and turn it to about $7 million following exactly that type of strategy. But just because you are investing in that space where there's little competition doesn't mean it's an automatic success because smaller companies are riskier in general. And I would say 80 to 90% of the companies that trade there, nobody should ever, ever touch them because they're not good. They're terrible businesses. They don't have any revenues. They just have a bunch of promises. But then there's those 10 to 20% of the companies out there that are just kind of hiding. And if you can find them, then they can offer life-changing returns. And so what I do is I would go through, let's just give an example of a Canadian stock exchange. They only have about 800 companies listed there. I would go through every company one by one, no screens, no nothing, no computers, just one by one look at every single one. And many of them I eliminate very, very quickly because if they sell cannabis or they're looking for gold or they have cure for cancer by no revenues, no, I'm not interested in those kinds of companies. I'm interested in real companies with real revenues, good profit margins, real solutions, real clients, recurring revenues. Maybe clients have switching costs. It's tough to switch. Growing fast, that's what I'm looking for. And most of the time, or sometimes because nobody's paying attention to them and they are you know, among a lot of awful businesses, you can get those companies at a price that is very, very reasonable. And you could not possibly get this kind of pricing on NASDAQ because you know, everybody knows about these companies on NASDAQ. And I'm sorry, what was that stock exchange? I didn't catch that. Canadian Stock Exchange, CSE. Oh, okay. And you see, I'm in the US. So sometimes people misunderstand. They think I live in Canada. I don't live in Canada. It's just in the US, we don't have a venture exchange. US, the traditional route for companies to go public in the US is that they get funded privately by venture capital. And then when they get big enough, they go on NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. There's this traditional route. Well, to offer younger companies a different route, meaning become public much earlier, they can do that, Canadian Stock Exchange or Toronto Stock Exchange. And so those companies, many times, they're United States companies. They just don't have an option to do it in the US. So they go and list on Canadian Stock Exchange because the listing fees are very cheap and they can give 
shareholders' liquidity in an earlier stage. So it's just an alternative way of going public. And again, this alternative method is not even known to the majority of the investment public. Investment professionals, they have no idea. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Talker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steedtalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Yeah, so it primarily is venture capitalists that are, I mean, venture operations who are seeking ventures. And so they're primarily startups. Is that what I'm understanding? Well, they're smaller companies, so they might be at a different stage. I mean, a lot of them are startups that, you know, they just have something in the development and they're commercializing it. Others are much further along in the business development, so they have revenues and they might have significant revenues. So you can't just paint them in with one brush. I have one company now that is generating revenues, growing, and they are in the talks with investment bankers to go to NASDAQ, hopefully this year or next year. So it's just different. But a lot of them are there because it's cheaper than NASDAQ. And when they get big enough, then it makes sense for them to graduate to NASDAQ. So can you just kind of lay out what is your criteria for selecting the companies that you invest in? Number one, they have to have revenues. They have to have revenues because I have to be able to realize whether they are actually solving a problem for somebody. Because revenues are proof of concept that like, yes, someone is paying for the solution to their problem or demand. That's number one. They have to have it. And I want those revenues to be quality revenues. What kind of revenues? Quality, good quality revenues. Because making a dollar from a recurring revenue product versus getting a dollar from selling pillows are completely different things. One is a very high profit margin, high recurring revenue business model. The other one is very low quality revenue maybe a one-time sale. I'm not interested in one-time sales. I'm interested in businesses that have recurring revenues or repeat customers so that every January, they don't start from zero. And I'm interested in businesses that have big profit margins, north of 50% profit margins, because then there's something left over for uh, marketing, for general and administrative. And then eventually, if they're not profitable today, eventually there's enough of profit margin that they will be profitable. But if you look at some companies like in the cannabis space, okay, they're selling weed, but the profit margins are 20%. What good does it do to me? Those kinds of revenues. They're not even enough to run the company. And if you are in cannabis space, it's a commodity product. Everybody and their brother wants to produce weed. And so the prices of your products are going to go down. And then you have to keep sinking money into the production facilities to protect your margins. So this is not the kind of business that I'm interested in. I want high margins, recurring revenues, and maybe customers that have switching costs. It's very tough to switch or the product is so ingrained in their operation that if they stop, it's like taking oxygen away from them. Could you give us an example of a product that has a difficult switching aspect to it? I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but I have this one company is in the business of providing software for governmental agencies to help the governmental agencies manage the code enforcement for restaurants. 
you know, every county has hundreds or thousands of restaurants that they have to monitor to make sure that the restaurants do everything properly. Well, it's an absolute nightmare. Well, they provide the software to make it easier. And the software is so ingrained in their operation that if they switch, I mean, it's a complete disaster that they cannot get their job done. So this is a kind of model that like once they get a client, like the client is not going anywhere for 20 years. And unless you screw up so bad, the competitor has absolutely no chance of taking that business from you. And that kind of revenue is hugely valuable revenue because governmental agencies always pay. And so there's no bad debt expense. And that kind of revenue, when it gets large enough, it's valued at an incredible multiple on NASDAQ, for example. This kind of revenue is worth 20 times revenues because of its quality. So this is a great example. Well, how much time do you necessarily spend on a new investment to do your due diligence on that? It might take me a week or two, but I don't have to do this a lot because all of the investments that you know bear fruit take years, three to five, seven years. So when I have my portfolio of you know, let's say five to 10 companies, I have to be patient. I always tell people, look, I can find you a great opportunity every week, but what good is it going to do if you can't sit on it? You have to actually experience it. So once we find the opportunities, then we have to sit and wait and follow and wait and follow. And then, of course, I always look for new investment opportunities, but I'm not going to jump from one to another because that's not how you make money. The biggest money is made by sitting on your butt and doing nothing after you find the good ones. So you plan to go into it for the long haul, and that's what, five to 10-year hold? Is that typically what you're holding them? Well, usually that's how long it takes for them to get bigger or successful. I mean, just like anything in life, you know, anything worth pursuing takes longer than people think. And people overestimate how much they can get done or how much their business can get done in one year, but they underestimate how much can be done in 10 years. So do you tend to sell them when they go to NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange? or Not necessarily. It depends on how much more room or growth they have. And if they are still reasonably priced and if the growth is still big, I hold them. So you said you keep your portfolio to about five to 10. Is that correct? Yeah, that's about that. That's about that. So that doesn't sound like an overwhelming amount to keep your eye on. So have you ever purchased a company stock that you regretted purchasing? Absolutely. From 2012 to 2016 was the worst period of my life because I got involved in gold mining stocks and I learned my lesson the hard way and to never invest in businesses that are terrible because no matter how great the management is, the business is terrible. The terrible factors of the business will always outweigh how smart the management is. So that was a painful lesson. Lost a lot of money. And now I only focus on good businesses. As Warren Buffett would say, buy good businesses that even an idiot can run because one day one will run it. So what made you invest in gold if it's such a bad business? I mean, you've learned a lot over that course of the period, but what was it about gold that was attractive at the time? Well, the people that are attracted to gold do it from the very sound perspective. Our government is spending more money than it's bringing in, running deficits, and the Fed is printing money to fill in the gap, and they're creating inflation. So gold has been there to protect people from inflation. But gold and gold production are two different things. And gold is there to protect the purchasing power. Absolutely. Producing gold is the worst business on the planet because it's very capital intensive. 
governments get involved with regulation, giving you a permit, taking a permit away. The actual resource, once you find it, you're producing yourself out of business because it's a depleting resource. The more you produce, the closer you are to running out of business. And then your costs are very much unpredictable if you make a mistake in calculations, how much grade you have, what it's going to cost you to produce. I mean, the kind of mistakes and mess ups that I saw in this business, I didn't think was humanly possible. I've experienced pretty much every single thing that's out there. And the best solution is just to never touch it again, no matter how wonderful the opportunity is, no matter what people on TV say about gold, just buy gold, just buy gold. If you want to protect your money, don't buy the gold miners or gold junior miners. I even created on my YouTube channel, a video series titled why I had hate gold miners. And it's been such a huge success video series because it opened up people's eyes to how terrible this industry is because nobody talks about it. Great CEOs come on podcasts, come on YouTube channels or whatever in the media. They have a tie. They talk nicely about what they're doing. And people, you know, retail investors go into it with the hope of changing their life. And most of the time what happens is they just get completely wiped out. Would you say that's true for most mining industries or is it just gold that is the... Gold and silver are the worst. And, you know, you take a lot less risk if the company is already big, like Bear Gold. They're, you know, big and established. I'm talking about more of the smaller players, like the junior players or the intermediate players. But that's where the biggest potential is. You're not going to make huge amounts of money in these big established mining companies. And people are attracted to the 10x, 20x opportunities. That's why they'll go there. But unfortunately, instead of getting a 10x, they get a 90% haircut or 99% haircut most of the time. And I'm not saying that successes don't exist. Successes, of course, do exist, but they're you know very rare. Well, very interesting, very informative information. So Mario, tell us how it is that people can find out more about you and learn from your experiences. I would say follow my YouTube channel, take my name and put it into YouTube. And you will find my YouTube channel, subscribe to it. I do daily videos. And I think you said you will provide a link in the description or the notes to your podcast. I would say that's the best way. Just go with the YouTube channel and follow me like that. Okay. Yes, that will be in the show notes, but let me spell it out for you here. That's youtube.com forward slash user forward slash. And then Mario's name, it is S-K-O-N-I-E-C as in cat, Z as in zebra, N-Y-M-A-R-I-O-U-S and Z as in zebra, but that will be in the show notes and you can follow that link there. To find out more information about these non-competitive investment opportunities. So, Marios, share with us one of your most difficult setbacks in life, and it may have been investing, it may have been other parts of your life. But tell us about that experience and how did you come through that time and what did you learn from the experience? I would go back to the same thing, the gold miners, that they were the worst part ever. It took five years out of my life and it destroyed two of my businesses because at that time I was managing money for people and I also had a newsletter. So both of them were completely destroyed because of that. And how did I get out of it? You know, it took five years to get out of this and then focusing on good businesses and great assets. That's what got me out of it. And I prefer to stay in that space now. 
Well, it's a space that seems to have done really good things for you. And I'm glad you're out there to share these kind of experiences with others. It's been a pleasure having you, Marios. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.